Let's go ahead and turn into the book of Colossians and Colossians chapter 1. <coughs> Pardon me. Uh, we had kind of uh, left off uh, talking a little bit about uh, the inheritance uh, um, there with the saints of light. And um, you know, obviously God uh, calls us uh, children of light in Ephesians chapter 5 and uh, also there in 1 Thessalonians 5 where um, it's a it's a new kind of, if you will, uh, life for us, uh, being called out of that darkness. And uh, if we go down there to uh, verse 12, where, again, we're going to kind of pick up, it says, giving thanks unto the Father. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm the one that's coughing. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. So we, we have Paul setting all of this up to get to a very important doctrinal principle that we are going to see in uh, uh, verse, uh, as we move into verse 18, where he's talking about who is the head of the church, who is the head of the body. And this is something that, that obviously has to be explained. These young Christians, and again, you have to remember, this is, this is the first century, if you will, Christianity that's existing, uh, shortly after, you know, Jesus Christ's resurrection. And here's Paul, uh, you know, going through talking about this ministry. He's never met these guys. He, he wants to make sure that they understand, first and foremost, who has the preeminence. And he begins to set the stage because, as he says in, in verse 18, that in all things he might have the preeminence, he's setting the stage for what he's just talked about, his desire for them, about who God is, who Christ is, and what Christ has done. And, and this has to be the understanding. If we're going to grow in the knowledge of him, as he talked about uh, in the previous verses, we have to understand who Jesus Christ is and what he has done. And a lot of people do not understand who Jesus Christ is and what he has done. I mentioned the, the, um, the, the study that was done, the statistics, and one of the statistics uh, clearly pointed out and said uh, that, the, um, uh, that in churches today, uh, about 60-some percent, close to 70 percent, uh, do not believe that Jesus Christ was sinless when he was here on earth. They believe that he he obviously had to have sinned in some way, shape, or form. Like Then you don't understand who Jesus Christ is. Don't understand the purpose of him being here. At that point in time, then he's just a man, he's not God, and he couldn't have died for our sins. So, so we, we understand that concept, but as a whole, a lot of Christians today or professing Christians don't even have that same viewpoint. Don't even have that as a doctrinal principle. 
So you go and you preach something like this in one of those churches where there's a bunch of people that think that Jesus Christ sinned and you start talking about who he is and, and the importance of all of it. They, they, they're going to begin to get this understanding of who Jesus is, what God thinks of sin, uh, why uh, it was important, all of the th- stuff that, that he did for us. Why those things still uh, are, are necessary to refresh our minds and, and to be at the forefront of it and, and to constantly sit there and think about well, the, the, the sacrifice that was given upon the cross. To constantly think about the power of the resurrection. And he starts off with this preeminence part, beginning by talking about that, number one, that, that, that by him everything was created and all things consist, which we'll get to. But he starts off right there in chapter 14 talking about the redemption. The redemption. And this is kind of where I want to focus on. Because we had talked about, uh, you know, obviously moving from light to dark. That is, that is a huge change in our life. When we're moving from the darkness of sin and death and moving to the light of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins, and the light of life, as we find over there in John uh, chapter 1, he is called the light. But what we find here in verse verse, uh, 14, he says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Now, this is one of the most important verses in Scripture. It also happens to be one of the most intact verses in Scripture. Because there's a lot of times they will attack and they will try to remove the important part of this. Now, obviously, we see here that when we're talking about redemption, and he's talking about this forgiveness of sins, this is a key important concept to understand. Because when you look at what salvation is, as I've said, salvation is an umbrella term. Under that umbrella term of salvation you have the multiple components that it consists of. So when you say, you know, just take anything, like a book. When you have a book, you have the, if you will, the cover. You have sometimes a preface, sometimes you have an epilogue, whatever it may be. Uh, But uh, you have this book, and in that book are contained several different chapters that all support the main idea of the book, whether it's uh, to relay a story, fictional or non-fictional, a principle, whatever it may be, all of these things building to, to, to the one purpose behind it. And when it comes to salvation, we have to understand that. Because under that, 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 that umbrella, if you will, of salvation, that term... Not only do we understand that there's justification and sanctification and adoption and ordination and predestination and redemption and all of those things that we see, those T-I-O-N words and, if we, if you will, the, that kind of Krishnese that we refer to today. But all of those things are important for us to understand. We take one of those things out and remove it, we, it, that's like taking a whole chapter out of a book. You're, you're destroying the structure of it. So what he's getting at here is he's talking about this idea of redemption. And when he's talking about redemption, we're thinking about it in the form of the purchase price. The purchase price. What did it cost to bring about forgiveness of sins? 
What, what was the, 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 the end invoice, the amount due that was there that would purchase and secure salvation for everyone? What was the per, uh, the, 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 the value and the cost behind what it took to bring about that forgiveness that we see, we so desperately need in our lives? Well, obviously, as we know, it was the shed blood of Christ. So here we are talking about this redemption, and as part of that redemption process, that purchasing, there is the forgiveness part. So we, we understand, uh, uh, um, again, what, what God talks about over in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Let's turn there. I know we were there just last night, but 1 Corinthians chapter 6. <clears throat> And in verse 19, he says, What know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? Well, why are we not our own? For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. He bought it. He bought it. When you go and you, you buy a car, you pay that price of whatever they're asking for cars nowadays. And, and you, you make that purchase, you've redeemed it. Yours. Belongs to you. It's not your neighbor's. It's not, it's not anyone else's. Title's in your name. I mean, unless you finance it and then it's the bank and I understand all that. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> but you, you understand the concept is it's purchased. There was a purchase that was made. It costs something. It costs something. Everything in life has a cost. Everything in life has a cost. We, we have to really understand that concept. Our salvation had a cost. Uh, the, 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 the Bible that you have in your lap or, or on your phone, there's a cost to it. To put it together the way it was. Many a saint Gave their life for that. Many, many uh, 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 people gave countless hours to put it together like this. Paul didn't have this. The nation of Israel didn't have this. Job didn't have this. But yet he esteemed the, the, the words of God more important than his necessary food. So, so here we are looking at what God is doing here and what God is saying. He's saying, look, you're, you're bought with a price. There was a purchase that was made. You do not belong to yourself. If you're trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then that purchase price of his shed blood must be understood. And as such, the, 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 the purpose behind what we do on a day-to-day basis is this, glorify God in your body and in your spirit. Why? Because they don't belong to you. They don't belong to you. Now, this is an important, very important principle to learn. Because once we realize that we are redeemed, once we realize that a transaction has taken place and ownership has been identified... 
Once we realize that, we begin to realize that the purpose of what we do on a day-to-day basis is to glorify God. Yeah, again, you know, people will ask, okay, well, I, I don't understand what the will of God is for my life. And, and people, look, as I've said before, and as lots of people have said, mankind makes things difficult. We, we, we just do. If we, if we can, if we can take something that is simple and make it so complex that, that not even us, you know, can understand what it, it, what it is anymore, we'll do it. We just make things more, more, more difficult, more complex for ourselves. So I say all of that to say this, that, that, that as we look at the simplicity of salvation and how complex people make it, the will of God is, is, is sometimes just, if you will, confused with additional uh, traditions and, and input and, and ideas and things of that nature. Because again, somebody is going to sit down and a young person may see or may think to themselves, I don't know what the will of God is for my life. I don't know whether I should do this or whether I should do that. Or, and, and they're thinking about something that is in the future. Problem is, is, is you find very few verses talking about the will of God in the future tense. A majority of the verses that talk about the will of God, the will of the Lord, His will, are in the present tense. Right now. So in order to think about what's going to be in the future, we have to understand what the will of God is for us right now. And people are like, well, I don't know what the will of God for me is right now. He just told you, glorify God in your body and in your spirit. Why? Because you you don't own it. So start there. The will of God that we start off with is what? We start off with glorifying God. This is what I tell people. When you're trying to figure out what the will of God is for your life, you ask that question. Will it glorify him? If you want to know what you're going to do in your life, ask that question. Will it glorify him? If the answer is no, it's not his will. It's not his will. Again, you know... I'll give you a very uh, uh, broad uh, uh, kind of, you know, uh, extreme example of what I'm talking about. Somebody's trying to fill out, figure out, again, what the will of God is for their, their, their life, what they're supposed to be doing. And, and they're trying to figure out, okay, well, Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? And, 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 and they, they don't understand the concept of giving God glory and they're looking down in the future and, and, and they start coming up with, well, you know what? I, I, I know I can do this and it pays pretty good. I could be an assassin. <laughs> I mean, you know, you, you're getting paid some big bucks, right? To do stuff like that. And, and, and there's always work. <laughs> And, and you just think about the amount of money you can tithe. And how you can be a witness. 
You know, as you're sitting there threading the suppressor on, if you were to die today, <laughs> do you know where you spend eternity? I mean, you know, there's a lot of reasons. We can sit there and try to justify it, right? Look, God has not called people to be an assassin, right? <clears throat> As a matter of fact, you go through, look at scripture, uh, there's a lot of things about it that, that, that God makes very clear. But, but again, you know, some people will try to take on that mentality and you say, does that glorify God? No. It doesn't. God calling us to do that? No. Can I glorify God in murder? No. Can I glorify God in stealing? No. Man, if this guy is, is, is the actual, you know, uh, culprit here in the Idaho murders, you know what he did? He sat in classes where they were talking and teaching about how to be a serial killer. I understand going through criminology stuff and, 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 and doing things of that nature, but there's something wrong with that. Why are we studying killers? I, I get it. I, I understand. You know, you're, you're talking about investigations and you, you want the people to do what they're supposed to do and profile and do all of that. I get that. I understand it. But I'm just sitting there thinking to, to, to myself, you know, he's sitting there studying all that. There's no way in his right mind he could ever justify and say that was that, that was God's will. He can't glorify God in that. But what we find out here is, is that God is saying, look, if you're going to do the will of God, it starts off with this understanding of redemption. Because again, this is what he desired for them. And he said very specifically that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding going back to Colossians 1. And part of that is, again, understanding who he is and an increasing in the knowledge of God so that we can do those good works that he asks us to do. And he comes down to this redemption. That's the one of the biggest things, if you will, from a doctrinal perspective, with Christianity today. Why is that? Because just about everybody thinks, well, it's my life. And he just said, no, it's not. I mean, how many times have people said, well, it's, and we'll even go so far to say, well, it's my right Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? That's me. What about this says it's all about us? It's all about him. And then in order to show some of what it's all about, him, he says, I want you to think about somebody other than yourself. Love God, love your neighbor, right? Fulfill the law of Christ in Galatians 6.1. What's that? Bear ye one another's burdens. 
So we start seeing this idea and this concept of, of, hey, I'm supposed to be doing something that isn't about me. And understanding what redemption is, that we have this forgiveness of sins, puts us in that mindset of saying, God has done so much for me. He is the one that is preeminent. He is the one that is overall. I need to obey him. The concept behind what he's getting at here is the obedience to Christ, the obedience to the word that is necessary in the Christian life. And we'll we'll get, we'll get to that a little bit later. But here he is, he's talking about, he says in verse 14, back in Colossians chapter 1, he says, in whom we have redemption through his blood. It's through his blood, not through ours. Go over to the book of uh, uh, of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 9. We're going to take a look at a couple of passages here. We take a look at Hebrews chapter 9. In verse 12, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12. He says right there, he says, uh, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. It wasn't, this isn't a rental property. Aren't you glad he isn't renting you or leasing you to return you back to what you were for what you originally came from? It's an eternal redemption. Praise God for that. But here he says, neither by the blood of goats and calves. Take a look at the next chapter in chapter 10 and in verse 4. It says, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. So here he is, you know, obviously in Hebrews and the, the writer here is talking to Jews who are focused upon that. They're still focused on that today. They're trying to build the temple again. Well, why are they trying to build the temple again? So they can go back to the sacrifices. Why are they trying to go back to the sacrifices? Because they don't believe that the shed blood of Jesus Christ was sufficient. As a matter of fact, they don't believe it was anywhere even remotely necessary for them. They still want to go back to sacrificing bull, you know, bulls and goats and, and lambs and turtle doves and things like that. Man, Peter's going to have a heyday with that one. But you understand what I'm saying is, is that, that that's their mindset. So here we have the book of Hebrews trying to communicate to Jews saying Jesus Christ is so much better than that. Why? Because that type of blood never could do those things that Jesus Christ's blood can do. It was insufficient. It was temporary. Hence, you've got the whole idea of Abraham's bosom and, and, and paradise, uh, being necessary before Jesus Christ died upon the cross. So, so we see here very clearly that as he's going through this, he's pointing some things out and he's saying, look, he, he, here's this blood that was shed that couldn't do anything. It had to be his own blood for the eternal redemption price over there in verse uh, 12 of chapter nine. It was his own blood. God's blood that was shed. Take a look over there in, uh, while we're in the neighborhood over in first Peter, in first Peter chapter one, first Peter chapter one, 
And in verse 18, he's talking about this redemption. He says, for as much as ye know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition of your from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He says right there, the, the, the description of the shed blood of Christ is precious. There are people that have been argue or that argue and say, well, Jesus Christ could have been strangled and it would have done the same thing. No, it wouldn't. Well, he, he could have been bludgeoned to death. No, he had to shed his blood. That's why you see the mutilation that occurred. That's why you see the piercing that took place. That's why you see all of those things happening. But here he's saying, look, that redemption wasn't bought with something that was corruptible. Now, this is important because when we begin to realize that it wasn't a corruptible uh, uh, um, uh, cost, that what was being paid, that, that value that was uh, was there, that that purchase was not be, through something that was going to be temporary, through something that was going to uh, have flaws or have faults with it or anything of that nature. Money is corruptible. Well, how do we know that? Look at world economies. The value of something. The value of something. Uh <clears throat> Just to, to, to kind of give you an idea and a concept, uh, an MRI is much more expensive than, say, what is referred to as a CT scan. And I remember when I started having some issues uh, with headaches and migraines and stuff, they, they needed to do an MRI of my skull, make sure everything was still up there, I guess. So I go and I do this MRI, and that's when I, again, as I've mentioned before, the, uh, that's when I learned the term um, um, pre-authorization. Because it wasn't pre-authorized by my insurance, and I had to pay. You know how much I had to pay out of pocket? Close to $1,000 for that MRI. 1000 bucks. That was some time ago. I was going through my claims and I was looking at the claims uh, and uh, I I had two CT scans like right in a row um, at the ER and I was looking at those CT scans and uh, looking at the the claim and what the uh, the hospital submitted to the insurance company seventy three hundred apiece. Seventy three hundred apiece. An MRI, I don't even know what that would cost nowadays. A small island or something, I <laughs> I don't know, you know. Uh, ten pounds of gold, I whatever it is. Values change, right? I, I say all that to, to, to show that you know, something that was back in the 1990s versus something that was in 2022, there's a huge price difference. There's a huge price difference. Well, back then, that still, for me, was a significant financial impact. 
I can't even imagine today having to pay $7,300 out of pocket. Praise God, and you know, for people that kind of got wise and figured out, well, maybe we should like uh, get pre-authorization before we do the actual, you know, scan. Praise God for that. But the but the end result that, that, that I take a look at with this is we see this value that is subjective with money. That's why money could never buy our salvation. Let's think about it. Somebody somebody gets saved and it was all about the purchase price of uh, something that was a U.S. dollar value back with those gold and silver certificates that everybody's arguing about and let's say in the early 1800s. You know, how much do you think that would have cost, salvation? Well, if we said $100 in the 1800s, people would be like, oh, and they'd pass out because that's a lot of money. $100 today for salvation, you'd be like, that's cheap. Does it buy one, get one free? I'll take a couple, you know? But we were to adjust for inflation and adjust for monetary shift and all of that. 100000 If you've got a little extra sins that maybe it costs a little bit more, you know, there's the add-on fees. So, you know, if you're just your average Joe and you just, you know, haven't committed any huge gross sins, let's just say $100,000, you can go finance that at the bank. Somebody like Adolf Hitler, that might be a couple million, you know. There's a few deaths that we'd have to worry about, right? It's subjective. But the cost of Jesus Christ shedding his blood is that value remains. That, that, that purchase price can't be corrupted. Gold and silver values fluctuate. The value of Jesus Christ dying on the cross never does. It's, it's fixed. It, 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 it's a firm thing. When, when, when we see here, he's describing it as precious. We think of precious stones or gold and silver as being precious. His blood is far more precious, far more precious. Go over to, uh, uh, 1 John, 1 John chapter 1. In 1 John chapter 1, <clears throat> He says in verse 7, he says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Uh, I'm just going to pause there because it's always important to say this. The reason that there is uh, discord and, uh, um, if you will, division among people is people are not walking in the light of Christ. That's the, that's the biggest reason. And it says here, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Now, that's an important verse. You know, it wasn't water that did it. It wasn't his sweat that did it. It wasn't a lock of his hair that did it. It wasn't a pound of his flesh. It was his blood. It was his blood. 
And I tell you, one of the things that is often, often, often attacked is that. The importance of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. You, you, you do realize that that is a very extreme price. And that just shows how extremely disgusting sin is in the eyes of God. That it was an extreme price that was paid. Well, it's just, I mean, it's just sin. (laughs) If something costs that much, then it's very, very, very egregious to God that he would shed his own blood. But here he says it cleanses us from all sin. The blood of bulls and goats couldn't do that. The blood of bulls and goats couldn't do that. It was necessary that Jesus Christ shed his blood. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Sin sin cannot be dealt with. We find that, yes, there was shedding of blood that was beforehand, but it, it was, again, in remission. It wasn't in complete cleansing. There's a big difference. There's a big difference. As we go down here a little bit further, let's go over to the book of uh, Revelation uh, in chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. <clears throat> Again, to point this out in verse 5, here's John, uh, you know, kind of, if you will, giving this uh, introduction to the book. And in verse 5, and it says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood. That was necessary. Again, look, we've got this mindset of what we think about with blood. You get blood on a garment, it's like, oh man, i got to wash it out. Otherwise it's going to stain, right? But the blood of Christ is, is far different than that. The blood of Christ isn't staining like sin stains. The blood of Christ is a cleansing agent. It washes us white as snow, as scripture says. It, 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 it's something that is necessary and it's something that in this redemption, And I'm focusing on this part because, again, it's his blood that was shed that gives him this authority, that gives him this preeminence. That this is necessary for us. There's a whole slew of other verses. Just really quickly, go over to the book of Acts and Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. And again, to, 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 to reiterate this over and over and over and over and over again. Acts chapter 20 and in verse 28, he says, Take heed, uh, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Notice how there's a common thread through this. 
And there are people today that want to remove that. They don't want to mention the blood. They don't want to bring that up. But this is what the word of God says. And it's necessary. He purchased us with blood. Not with gold and silver, but with blood. Take a look at Romans, Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 and verse uh, 25. It uh, Again, just to back up a little bit here, verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation, that's final payment, if you will, through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. I mean, he's making it clear here that justification part comes about because of the redemption part, which is all purchased on the cross. The shed blood. Take a look at chapter 5 and verse 9. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. That's a good verse. That's a good verse. Verse 8 is the one that I often frequently quote. But verse 9, it says, you know, being justified by his blood. If you start going through and looking at each element, as I was pointing out, all of the stuff with the predestination and the ordination and the adoption and the sanctification and the redemption, all of that, this justification included in here, it's all covered because of the purchase price, the shedding of blood. That becomes necessary, uh, 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 or excuse me, became necessary for us. The very first thing that happened after after Adam and Eve sinned is they watched death occur in front of them. They're standing there with their fig leaves and God says, that's not sufficient. These animals that you so love, that love you, that one's dead and that one's dead. Now let's go ahead and take that skin and put it on you. Could you imagine the horror of that? Look, I, I, I am no way, shape, or form ever would be, I ever advocate this. But, but could you imagine, you know, in this day and age, your pet the one that you you really care about and you love, your dog, your cat. Your hamster. You need a few hamsters. <clears throat> Lizard. Snake. Tarantula? No, we'll skip that one. <clears throat> it's a creeping thing. <laughs> but would you understand what I'm saying? Could you imagine that, that, that in order to, 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 to move forward, you had to kill that animal? And skin it and put that skin on you so you were wearing something that you cared about. 
The thought of it, I'm sure, just by the look on your guys' faces, is grossing you out right now. But that's what was necessary because of what they did. They took pleasure in sin for a season without understanding the long-term consequences. He warned them death was there. That is going to be a horrific thing to even think about. But here, here we are, you know, talking about this and he's saying it's, it's through his blood. He died for us. The shedding of blood. Take a look at Ephesians, Ephesians chapter one. And as we circle back uh, over there to, to, to first, or to, to Colossians, but in Ephesians chapter one, as I said, there's a lot of parallels between uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, these four books. There's a lot of same terminology. There's a lot of same phrases and, and usage of word. But here we are in, in, uh, uh, Ephesians chapter one and in verse seven, talking about Jesus Christ in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. I mean, that's almost exactly the same thing that he told the church at Colossae. And notice how he repeated it. Redemption through his blood. Again, it's a phrase that cannot be ignored. Why? Because the redemption phrase means nothing if the value in the purchase price isn't fully paid. Take a look at chapter 2, verse 13. He says, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes afar off are made nigh by what? By the blood of Christ. You know what? The devil does not like talking about the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Unbelievers do not like talking about the shed blood of Jesus Christ. They they, they try to, and, and, and to be honest with you, you know, the, 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 if you will, the litigation side of me kind of gets a little excited when they start, you mention shed blood of Jesus Christ and they go, oh, that's another thing. That's just gross. That's just a horrible thing to even think about that, that somebody would die and shed their blood that way. And I'm like, exactly. Now you know exactly what God thinks of your sin. If it grosses you out, what do you think it did to God? Yeah, they, they kind of back away from that debate point. But I, you, you begin thinking about what God's saying here over and over again. And these are multiple verses that we've seen that are all pointing back to, to what he talks about in Colossians 1. And if you go a little bit further in Colossians 1, down to verse 20, which we did not read... It says in Colossians chapter 1 verse 20, and this is again part of this preeminence, part of this doctrine of who Jesus Christ is for us as believers, the body and the church. And it says, in having made peace through the blood of his cross. Having made peace. 
Mankind still has that mentality. In order to have peace, you must do what? Prepare for war, right? Meaning that you are ready to shed blood in order to have peace. Now that seems absolutely foreign. Because the whole idea and the concept is, is we want peace. We want peace through, through talks and through treaties. Well, you know what talking is? Yeah. There's nothing that's there. You know what papers are and treaties? Something that can be burned. People don't care about that. How many treaties have been violated? Oh, yeah, I, I forgot there's one treaty that hasn't been. That's the Treaty of Antarctica, which is the whole ice ring that goes around. Oh, never mind. With the whole flat earth thing. <laughs> Grief. Like, that treaty still exists. It's never been broken. Like, seriously? Really? Okay, moving on. Treaties are meant to be broken. You know where that concept comes from? It comes from the fact that Jesus Christ had to shed his blood to make peace. Why? Because we were at war with God. And in order to reconcile that relationship, I'll tell you this, from a counseling perspective, any time there needs to be reconciliation of a relationship, something has to die. Something has to die. Typically, what usually has to die is our pride. It needs to be killed immediately and burned on the altar. Just just get rid of it. But Jesus Christ shed his blood so that we can be reconciled. So that we can be reconciled to God, as he says there, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. The shed blood of Jesus Christ is an important is is, is so important. He says that this is necessary for everything, for everything. This is this is why the, the concept of not having Christ in every area of our life will lead to disillusionment, discouragement, will lead to defeat in our life. Why? Because it's necessary for things in earth and things in heaven. Spiritual, physical, the shed blood of Jesus Christ is necessary. None of, none of the things that we see in Revelation at the end are, 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 are even attainable without that lamb that had been slain that he talks about in the first part of it. All of that being necessary. So here we are looking at this verse in verse 14, and I know I didn't get far with this, but I wanted to to point this out, that it says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. That's something that's important, that those forgiveness of sins that are being blotted out as we go over to chapter 2, and in verse 14 it says, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. That's what happens. Your sin is there, is paid, blotted out, can't even see what was underneath it. 
done away with. God takes a look at that book, and that book, he he turns and he says, okay, well, Ken Stewart trusted Christ as his Savior. Let's take a look at his sins. He opens that book up, and the pages are red. Well, praise God, he continues to forgive, and praise God that there's that forgiveness that's there. But, you know, again, there's the idea and the concept is that we can fall back into those sinful behaviors, and we need to not do those. Because, again, he says, God forbid... But here we see that it's, it's forgiven. And praise God for that. But what we find is, is we find as he moves through this into verse 15 of that, that, that uh, in chapter 1, it says, who's the image of the invisible God or the firstborn of every creature. This begins to set that preeminence. So we have preeminence because of what he has done, the, the, the dying on the cross and the shedding of the blood. But here we find very clearly, he's talking about, he's the image of the invisible God. He's God. This is what he would, this is him. It's his image. It's not a copy. And he says right here, the firstborn of every creature. Now we already saw a couple of references where he talked about them being first born from the dead and, and the first resurrection, if you will. Why? Because the other ones were not the same. This one was very different. And we'll take a look at that Lord willing next week. But we find that very clearly he begins to set the stage of all of this stuff that I'm wanting you to do with the will of God and the knowledge of God is going to come down to this who is Jesus Christ, and what are you doing with him? What are you doing with that knowledge? What do you know about him? How precious is that blood that we start talking about? And we'll find out more about uh, this image and the firstborn next week, but let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for this time. Thank you again for an opportunity, Lord, to just uh, see what you've done for us from your word, from your scripture. And Lord, the importance of that, 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 that precious blood that was shed for us. And Lord, I thank you for it. Pray, Lord, you continue to meet with us uh, for the 11 o'clock hour. Lord, you just continue to work in our hearts uh, during this time. And I ask and I pray this in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.